Hello and welcome to the European VC, your go-to podcast for insights into the European VC industry. Broadcasting from Denmark, I'm Andreas Mangholm. And from Portugal, I am David Cruzisula. We are your hosts for today's episode. If you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please do reach out to us at theeuropeanvc.com. If you're about to raise an international round, do feel free to reach out to us for an introduction to relevant VCs. We are joined by Stefan Murais, founder and managing partner of Indico Capital Partners, a leading early stage deep tech VC firm based in Portugal. Stefan was formerly an executive board member at Caixa Capital, where he led investment rounds in many Portuguese global tech success stories. I am particularly excited to be talking with Stefan, first of all, because we share the same home country, Portugal. But most importantly, Stefan has been a major player in building up the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Portugal. Stefan's portfolio includes the likes of Farfetch, an online luxury retail platform selling products from over 700 boutiques and brands from around the world, which actually went public on 2018 and is listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And Babbel, an AI-powered human translation platform focused on the translation of customer service communications, and Tier, a micro-mobility company providing electric scooter ride-sharing services. With a diversified background as an investment banker, consultant, entrepreneur, and CEO, he has lived in eight countries and four continents over the last 24 years. Stefan, also the founding curator of the Global Shapers Lisbon Hub, was appointed as a young global leader by the World Economic Forum in 2010 and is a member of their Digital Leaders of Europe community. Stefan, welcome to the European VC and thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Before starting our chat about VC in Europe, we'd like to get to know you a little better. I've heard that you have a backstory as an athlete. Would you care to elaborate? Well, I'm, I'm I, you know, my big passion is surfing. Uh, I love what I do, uh, but I also love to have a family and, and, to, and to surf. And so I've been surfing since, you know, over 34 years now. Uh, now the kids are surfing. And yes, I used to compete a bit, never in a real professional way. But while I was at university and, and beyond that, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I love the ocean. I've traveled all over the world uh, for surfing. Um, and I intend to keep on doing that with now with the kids, hopefully. That's that's quite awesome. I'm almost tempted to say there's a trend between uh, what we consider successful VCs and backgrounds and interests in sports. Our first episode was with uh, Mark Lorman, who also uh, tried his hand at professional tennis as a kid and, and reached quite uh, top ranks worldwide. Um, mm-hmm. Stefan, uh, many Portuguese tech success stories are connected to you in the sense that you were, uh, in many cases, an investor in these companies. I know you had a decisive role in building the Portuguese ecosystem, and I would love to hear a bit more about your path into VC and particularly your experience in this emerging ecosystem, Portugal. Look, I guess I, I found out that I wanted to be a VC when I went to when I did my MBA at Harvard Business School. I had a um, uh, you know, one of the subjects was venture capital and private equity with Professor Josh Lerner, who is, you know, the, the global authority on, on private equity and VC and, and an amazing human being and, and obviously a very, very talented and smart professor. And, um, you know, I, I kind of, I, I had already done a startup in London back in the dot-com boom and then the subsequent bust when I was at, at, at HBS. And I realized that, you know, private equity and VC would be, you know, my career of choice. But it... You know, life uh, takes its time and I did lots of other things in the middle, um, but always with an eye of getting closer to becoming a professional investor. And I actually think that now looking back, uh, you know, having done lots of other things, being on the different sides of the table as an advisor, 
as a CEO and as an entrepreneur really helps me have a, uh, have a broader look and, and, and a deeper understanding of how entrepreneurs feel. Um, you know, and, and that's why I really, uh, we really try at Indico to be added value and to be close and to, and, and to be as, as useful as possible to the, to the teams and to the companies because I felt it my own, on my own companies when I didn't have the right investors, um, what, what that means for the future of the company and for your general level of happiness. Uh, so, so eventually I ended up joining a full-time Kashi Capital and, um, and heading up Venture Capital right at the beginning of, of the sort of the boom of the Portuguese VC scene, which is also partially the boom of many other countries in Europe, uh, you know, in about 10 years ago or so, um, where things were starting really to heat up and the first few success stories were starting to come out of Portugal as they were from other from other countries and in particular Portugal because it's a very small market. Uh, the Portuguese companies tend to become global immediately or at least try to become global immediately, trying to sort of target the US market and the UK market and so on. So actually small is beautiful in, in the case of, of, uh, of VC and, and technology. And, um, and we were very fortunate to have uh, backed uh, many of those success stories. And actually uh, one of the few that we didn't uh, was uh, TopDesk, which is um, a company co-founded by my current partner, Christina Fonseca, current partner at the fund. And, um, and so that was one of the few that we, we couldn't get our, our hands on because they were already in the US they had gone through 500 startups. They already had quite a, a few big name VCs in there, and so we were late. But essentially, it it was it's a very it's a fun profession. You know, I'm not surprised that a lot of people uh, are interested in this in this profession. But it is a, a profession that requires, I think, some some experience and some well-rounded um, experiences in in things that go well and things that don't go well. Uh, because in general, things in VC don't go well, and and so you you need to be ready for that as well. And then uh, try to enjoy the, the the few successes that compensate for the whole the whole thing. Thank you, thank you for sharing that. I love the small is beautiful, almost a perfect slogan for the Portuguese ecosystem. <laughs> that um, that actually brings me to to another topic regarding regarding Portugal. During uh, your period of, of of ecosystem building, and I'm I'm using this this expression uh, generously. Um, did you feel that that there was a lack of specialized capital supporting early stage startups in Portugal? And I. I, I ask this because uh, mature ecosystems need not only capital, of course, but also specialized operational support to help companies grow and scale internationally. And I wonder if this is one of the factors that ended up motivating you to start Inico. Well, I mean, it's um, indeed, uh, you know, ecosystems like uh, Portugal or even Denmark, which is also kind of similar size. They need not only specialized, knowledgeable investors, but they need experienced entrepreneurs as well. And they need experienced angels. And this is something, and, and of course, corporates that are willing also to work with these with these startups, because quite often you need to start with having local pilots, uh, even if you're in a small in a small market. You need local partners, you need knowledge sharing, and eventually you need uh, senior, knowledgeable, uh, you know, people that can join the companies. And so it's not something that you can build only with money. Time really takes. Um, it's really an important factor here because you first create the, the few early stage success stories, then they need to recruit abroad, they need to get capital abroad for later stages, still today. I mean, it's, and, and I think it will keep on going being like this, you know, there's some natural places in the world where, you know, capital is more concentrated. In the case of Europe, it's been typically London uh, and, and in the US, it's been typically Silicon Valley, but there's obviously other places, but you need 
the angels and, and who are the angels? The angels typically are people that were former entrepreneurs, tech entrepreneurs. But if you haven't had a tech ecosystem before, how can you have those kind of angels? And if you don't have lots of big corporates that are in the tech sector, um, if you don't have the, you know, even the Googles and Facebooks and, and Apples and so on, where do you recruit from when you need more senior people? So it is inevitable that when you are sort of building an ecosystem, uh, you, it, things take time and you sort of need to intervene. And I wasn't, you know, on the policy side of it, but uh, when, I, when we were at Kaisha, Kaisha was a public bank. And so there was a factor of sort of market making in sort of supporting the angels with capital from Kaisha supporting the accelerators with with sponsorship and with capital and with knowledge and so i think what we tried to do was to sort of create a number of actors that would be uh, necessary for the future of the ecosystem so that we could then invest and kind of cherry pick uh, the best companies that were uh, emanating from from the relations from all those from all those partners and i think we we ended up being you know very lucky and and, and quite successful at that and and hence the the decision to to sort of do your own uh, independent fund, which is something that is fundamental in an ecosystem. You cannot only have uh, public related entities or corporate related entities because those depend on policy and they depend also on, on sort of market uh, swings and moods. And when you have independent venture capital funds, that's their core business. So there will not be a CEO that says, oh, my profits are down and so now I'm going to kill sort of the the corporate accelerator or the corporate fund because I have to concentrate on my core business or a change of government that says actually you know a priority is no longer innovation or entrepreneurship and now I need to you know dedicate resources to healthcare or education which obviously they should so you need to in all these countries to have uh, eventually independent uh, robust big or fairly big um, uh, in funds that can actually drive the system and then with the success stories coming out, uh, you know, the, the entrepreneurs, they become angels, they become investors themselves, like Christina did in our fund. And that's sort of the beauty of, of the sort of uh, the rolling snowball that keeps on growing. Um, and, and that's very interesting, Stefan, because I'd love to 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 pick up on this point about uh, market maker makers, um, because at least in Denmark, uh, what we're seeing is often that the uh, The, the tech entrepreneurs once they've exited uh, and then, then then they typically tran transfer into becoming angels they very rarely transfer into be, becoming LPs how was it for you and your fundraising was it these guys who who became your LPs or could you find other LPs who were willing to put money behind you well actually in our case you know the majority of the capital came from uh, institutional uh, sources uh, sort of funds of funds internationally and also from high net worth individuals that were not necessarily related. They were not angels. They were not former tech uh, entrepreneurs, the majority. Uh, and, and the majority of our capital is also foreign, is not Portuguese. And, and this happens a little bit across Europe where, you know, the, the, the countries that are uh, more risk averse or, or that have less developed capital markets, uh, these types of asset classes, uh, which are considered to be uh, more risky, like venture capital or hedge funds or, or, or commodities, they are not the preferred asset classes of, of more traditional um, institutional or individual investors in, in these countries. You need to have uh, bigger countries and, and countries where these asset classes have shown results for people to actually understand and to, and to invest. So in our case, it was not the, the, the local entrepreneurs that were successful, in fact, because it didn't exist yet. I mean, we're, we're yet to see major, major exits uh, happen with the exception of Farfetch. 
uh, and and a few partial exits of a few other companies. But the truth is that there's not enough there's not enough entrepreneurs, Portuguese entrepreneurs, that have made uh, significant exits to to sustain funds. Now the second part that you mentioned is is very interesting, which is the entrepreneurs when they when they become successful, they tend to uh, become angels themselves. That's I think you know great, and I think we need that. But it is also true that in the more sophisticated markets, and you see that in, in the UK, in the US, and particularly in those markets which are very advanced compared to the rest of the world, the entrepreneurs also become investors in funds. Um, but I mean, quite often people think that, you know, they can do it uh, by themselves. They'll, they'll, they'll do it alone. They know better because they were successful. And the profession of being an entrepreneur is not the same profession of being a venture capitalist or a professional investor. There are obvious advantages in, in terms of being able to understand the technology, understanding how to grow a company, uh, having been there and seen it and done it. But there are other dimensions to becoming a professional investor which are not uh, taught in the entrepreneurial road. And that's why within a VC firm, you don't have only entrepreneurs normally. You also have people with different with different backgrounds. Again, diversity is, is good in terms of, of thinking and they, people shouldn't all be investment bankers and they shouldn't all be entrepreneurs. So I think that some, some um, entrepreneurs would also benefit from being LPs in funds where they can be present, but where they can also become uh, aware of the nuances of becoming uh, an investor rather than investing uh, you know, everything by themselves. But it's the it's the stage or it's the sort of stage of, of, of history that we are, where everybody is very egocentrical and everybody thinks that uh, they're very unique and very special. I mean, we don't think we're very unique and special. I think we try to do a good job. Uh, we love what we do. Uh, we've been rather successful at doing it. But it's early days. Uh, you know, most ecosystems in Europe are, are in early stage. But there's certainly a lot of talent. There's certainly a lot of science a very highly educated population across Europe and, and Portugal and Denmark are, are certainly no exception. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a great time to invest in European startups. Yeah, we, we're definitely seeing the same thing in uh, in Denmark. Uh, uh, and I, I think that this podcast is also uh, a symptom of the fact that the European ecosystem is, is only just maturing now. Uh, and we're seeing a, a much bigger focus both on the uh, startup side, but also on the investment side, which of course... Our podcast is uh, is is the uh, the the poster boy for. But Stefan, I'd I'd love to jump a bit more into what you said about you getting the institutional LPs into your fund. I'm interested to hear, and I think that many in our audience as emerging managers would be as well. What do you think swayed them to to invest in your fund? Yes, I mean it's it's a it's a it's a difficult path uh, for sure. It's a rocky it's a rocky road that when you were were trying to set up your your own fund. Um, I think the, the first thing is they, they need to understand your track record. Uh, it is extremely difficult to start a fund from scratch if you had no track record in investing. Um, and quite often what happens is you, 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 you mix a group of people that have some track record and others that were entrepreneurs and therefore they were operators and, and know how to grow companies. Uh, in our case, that's what we did. So we had uh, Christina and partially myself, uh, although on a much smaller scale, that were entrepreneurs. And then both myself and Ricardo, which were, uh, which had been on the advisory side, on the investment side for a long time as well, and and uh, and had and were more experienced in terms of, of of age, and so the first thing is, you know, do these guys know how to invest? You know, that's that's shown by your track record, uh, for sure. And then the second thing is, do they have deal flow? I mean, do they know where to find the deals? Because ultimately, 
the game of VC is 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 a game of access. Do you have access to the to to many companies, and in particular, do you have access to the best companies? Can you invest? Uh, will you be the chosen uh, investor uh, by those very good teams of entrepreneurs that quite often can choose between uh, different uh, investors? And then the second, this, the third thing I think that was crucial for us was: do you do does this team have the international reach to uh, make follow-on rounds happen? Uh, because let's not forget, it's not the game only starts when you invest. You then this is a, a, a you know VC is a game of of layers of capital. You start with pre-seed and then seed, Series A, and so on and so on. And you're not going to do the whole thing until the end. Most likely, very few VCs. Uh, can or want to do that. So particularly when you are in a smaller ecosystem, you are essentially a supplier of deal flow to other more advanced ecosystems where there's more capital. Ultimately, Europe has been you know, a supplier of deal flow to Silicon Valley, for example. And, and mm-hmm. within Europe, smaller countries end up uh, you know, uh, supplying deal flow to, to more advanced ecosystems like Berlin and, and, and London. And so you need to have that sort of international uh, reach. You need to have those connections. And VC is a small, it's a small industry. Uh, it has, it's a high impact industry in the world, but it's very small. There's a few people only, a few thousand people that are in the industry across across the globe. Uh, and so you need to know them, basically, and they need to know you. Uh, otherwise, they will not trust you. They will not look at your deals. They will not um, think of you as a, as a, a potential co-investment partner. So, the, so those three things are fundamental. Your track record, your ability to source deals, in your ability to co-invest with with other funds across the, the world. That's very interesting to hear. Very interesting, Stefan. Um, now I'd love to uh, to go a bit off script here uh, and and pick your brains on how you view the European VC industry, uh, and and just for our listeners to understand why I am I'm saying that I just have to do this. Uh, it's of course because you have an experience as as being a former advisor to the European Commission of Science and Innovation. You're also a past chairman uh, of the European Venture Finance Network. You're a board member of the European Venture Capital Club and, uh, and Private Equity Association. You've also been a board member of the International Venture Club. And I must say, this is quite a track record. So, so I really just can't resist but dive into the topic of fundraising at a European level. Do you think European investors are less interested in deploying capital into VC funds versus investors from other regions? Or how do you see our ecosystem evolving? Yes, I mean, if you if you look at the European sort of um, limited partners landscape, which are the people that invest in funds, it's a bit grim, quite frankly. I mean, uh, of course, if you are uh, a, a very well-known blue chip fund from the US sitting in London or, uh, you know, with a huge track record for decades or a couple of decades across Europe, that's maybe fine. And But the truth is the vast majority of VCs struggle to to, to raise funds. And this is not because there's lack of deal flow, right? Because I think that one of the one of the issues that sometimes uh, potential investors have is well, but is Europe competitive? And again, it's not a problem with deal flow, or not a problem with capacity of Europe from European um, scientists and engineers and entrepreneurs to come up with amazing, life-changing and global dominating companies. We can do that for sure. So there's enough uh, deal demand for the capital. The problem is that the vast majority of, of potential LPs just refuse to invest in, in, in venture capital and are very wary of the asset class. Some of them, uh, because they lived through um, you know, past uh, disasters such as the dot-com bust, 
back in the day, but that was 20 years ago. Most of them are not around anymore. Uh, and, and some of them just because they are quite frankly forbidden from investing in, in this asset class. And, and they will only consider the very traditional, you know, uh, equities and bonds and, and, and those kind of things. And eventually maybe a little bit of private equity because it's already uh, very, very established. And VC always gets left behind. And, and I think that a big part of the work that I tried to do when I was at those different institutions, and namely when I was uh, close to the, to the commissioner for science and innovation, Carlos Moedas was actually coming up with ideas and, uh, and projects that could eventually make uh, institutional and private investors at, in Europe consider VC as an attractive uh, asset class. But I think, quite frankly, we have a long way to go, a really long way to go. I mean, we see it in, in, in the US, um, you know, the way people look at innovation and the amount of capital that they also have available uh, is probably larger. The, 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 the history and the track record of VC is uh, larger and probably much better. And so what we face constantly in Europe is, and what we faced also in our own fundraising was, you know, I don't invest in VC. Or secondly, if I invest in VC, I would invest in Silicon Valley, even European uh, investors, which is fine. I mean, but, you know, just try to invest in the best VCs in, in, in the Valley and you'll see that it's not, not possible, actually. And number three, quite often they will say, well, I'll, I'll not invest in first-time teams. And you say, well, we're not the first-time team. I mean, we've done all these investments. Well, but, you know, show me the first fund or the second fund or the third fund, and then we'll speak again. And I think that's that's difficult because size matters in, in venture capital. And particularly in the current status of the market, even if there's a bit of a downturn now, the truth is the rounds are getting bigger and bigger and small funds just can't make it. You know, you need to have at least 50 to 100 million in the management uh, to actually be a reasonable player that has some access and has the ability to do follow-on investments that are material and that protect your equity stakes in your companies. Otherwise, you are not part of the game and you get diluted and your and your your results will be negligible and bad for your for your investors. So, I think that the the the, the industry needs to grow. Um, I think that there's a lot of policy that should change across Europe, both individually in, in countries, but also at the European Union level, that would incentivize the private sector to invest uh, in, in financial intermediaries that can then choose uh, the companies that can become uh, global success cases. And I think not enough has been done in that. And then quite often what happens is there's another public program or another public entity that ends up um, investing and creating, you know, a public program that that invests in funds. But quite often, there's lots of uh, uh, little details that don't enable these fund managers to grow. They don't. There are a lot of red tape and a lot of uh, reporting, which is all done in very good intention, but actually doesn't let the industry grow. And I think that we need to grow the industry significantly to become comparable, at least in terms of assets under management and quality. Uh, to our U.S. counterparts, because actually, if you have more assets under management, you are able to recruit a better team. You're able to support better your companies, and you're able to supply them with capital in in larger quantities, which hopefully will be a good thing for the for the for the sort of the plan of global domination of 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 that uh, specific vertical. So, we do have a lot a lot to learn yet, and I think sometimes we get a little bit confused on details and uh, and on trying to optimize policy. Uh, to a point where it's actually detrimental to the to to the fund managers, and in the end, it's detrimental to the to the innovation industry in, in Europe.
Yeah, so so this grim situation, as as you described, is basically, uh, as I perceive, uh, uh, a result of a lack of investment capacity in Europe, but also higher risk aversion, whether formal or informal. And I would love to to pick your brain, Stefan, here, um, and and maybe just on on key highlights or key policy agendas. How how can European VCs push for policy developments allowing for more capital to be deployed into European capital markets? And you know, my my main interest here is what do we as Europeans need to to learn from other regions but also what's what should we or or must we design from scratch well solutions are not easy of course but there's a lot of a, a lot of institutional investors that cannot invest uh in in this asset class i think that across countries that should be uh, and at an european level we should bring down those barriers mm-hmm. where uh, essentially it's forbidden for certain pension funds and so on uh, to to invest in in what is considered an asset class, and for the country, I think there should be at an individual country level and also at an European level, uh, an incentive scheme provided so that those fund managers, those funds of funds, let's put it this way, can and sh- and, and and would uh, in, invest in VCs. Now we're always talking about minuscule percentages of their assets under management, but if you have one percent of the pension funds in Europe invested in VC, that would be a tremendous revolution. So, because the vast majority invest zero. So we're not saying, look, we should get all the pension funds to invest 20% of their their assets in VC. No, not at all, right? That would probably be way too much. Although in the US, lots of pension funds actually do that uh, and very successful ones. But uh, the fact that they are not incentivized, that there's no tax advantage, that there's no, and that there's actually barriers, it's a problem. And then when you look at at individual investors, some investors, some countries have already done uh, have already done some efforts in in having um, individual investors invest in technology or in startups, but very rarely in the financial intermediaries. So what what actually happens a lot of times is that you become these individual investors become these sort of tourist angel investors that have no idea what they're doing, and basically they're investing in the wrong companies and and sort of basically wasting money, their own money and the state's money, which quite often is it's a subsidy from, from the state. And so, of course, it's our, in our own interest to, to say this, but it would be smarter if those people that have savings would have a tax break to invest in professional investors that could then theoretically, hopefully, take better decisions in terms of, of investment decisions. And we haven't seen that uh, happen yet. And again, the easy, the easy solution is always for the state the European state or the local state uh, to come up with another scheme, um, sometimes for financial intermediaries, but but quite often to to invest directly because it's considered that it's 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 faster and so on. And and what we should really do is not stop the the, the public sector from investing in VC firms because they, if it wasn't for the public sector across Europe, particularly the EIF, there would be no VC in in Europe. But we really need to sort of reach out to the private sector because that's where the capital, the real big capital, is. And, you know, just a tiny bit of that capital would change the outlook of Europe as a continent, as a, as a powerful force in technology uh, in the 21st century. And as we all know, the game, you know, the macroeconomic and the geopolitical game is being, is being played on the technology level. And so Europe should not and cannot be left behind. Yeah, thank you for that for the super super insightful and 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 very objective and, and actionable um, suggestion and highlights. We've spoken a lot about the European VC ecosystem. However, I would like to zoom back into Indico right now. In 2019, you invested a total of 22 million euros uh, in 10 companies. 
and helped create more than 600 jobs. That's really amazing. And from what I was able to gather, a significant part of Indico's deal flow was coming from Spanish entrepreneurs. And in March, if I'm not mistaken, you announced the opening of a Madrid office. This means that you guys are now investing across Iberia, so Portugal and Spain, rather than focusing just in Portugal. Can you elaborate a bit on this decision and its implications? Yes. So, so I think that what, what happened was that uh, we did invest 22 million. Our companies uh, altogether have already raised more than 250 million. So we were very fortunate to have you know, investors from all over the world that, that are uh, doing the follow-on rounds in our, in our companies. And um, because lots of, those, lots of those investors have their own portfolio companies, a lot of those portfolio companies started reaching out to us sometimes through those funds uh, and saying, look, we would like to, would you consider investing in us as well? Uh, and namely from Spain, uh, from all over Europe, but, but, but also from Spain. And, and Spain is a, is a very interesting market. It's a, it's a much bigger market than Portugal. It's also a, a more, much more competitive market in the sense that there's lots of very good, very good funds, uh, but there's also more people and, and more ideas. The comparable, it's comparable in terms of quality. I cannot say that I see better or worse deal flow from Spain, but there's just more, more, more companies and more, and more funds. And so um, we ended up deciding that the time was right to sort of uh, look at, at Spanish entrepreneurs in more detail. And um, one of our previous colleagues from Caixa had moved to Madrid for uh, personal reasons. And we like to sort of work with people that we trust and that have known for, for a long time because, you know, Indico is like a, to a certain extent, it's like a family, a small family of, of people that trust each other and that, uh, and that uh, have worked together uh, for, for many years. And so we decided to, to re-engage with Rui and bring him back into the team and basically essentially open up the Madrid office. Of course, the Madrid office suddenly became his home because uh, uh, the pandemic hit and essentially uh, we didn't really need to have an office uh, anymore which we will hopefully open up whenever whenever needed. But the truth is we're having a lot, a lot of uh, Spanish entrepreneurs uh, in our deal flow. And, um, and we're very happy with, uh, with, uh, with what's happening in Spain. That's interesting, Stefan. And I'm also interested in, in hearing because I know that you, at the same time or very close to, to when you announced the, the new office, you actually also announced that you were partnering with Google. Um, and, and of course, you're joining forces to launch a Lisbon accelerate, accelerator that is going to boost the ecosystem in Portugal. Um, but doing that at the same time as we're seeing this uh, uh, COVID-19 pandemic raging all across of the globe and, and, and Europe in particular, many would say, um, I, I, I'm very interested to hearing about how did you, how did you tackle everything uh, and how have you managed to push forward? Uh, and also... How did you manage to close this deal with Google? The, the truth is, you know, Google reached out to us about a year ago, probably November last year, uh, saying that they were considering opening up, you know, Google for Startups, which at the time was called Launchpad in Portugal, uh, as they have already done in about 45 cities across the world, I believe. And so they basically, they told us, listen, we know you're not an accelerator, but, you know, you're very well-known investors. And, you know, maybe you would like to consider applying to become our partners and so we we did apply ended up uh, actually uh, reaching an agreement with them and we thought this was extremely interesting because in fact uh, back in the day when we were sort of trying to help market make the portuguese ecosystem we we backed the the the, the original good accelerator in portugal which was the lisbon challenge which no longer exists and 
And this was important because, in fact, when you have, you know, not a very robust uh, uh, number of angels, you actually need to sort of prepare the very early stage startups to become investable by a VC fund. And so we thought of doing a small micro fund uh, to actually invest in these companies that we would select, you know, these six to 10 companies that we select every year uh, for the program, uh, for our program with Google, and then actually trade them across one year, you know, six months of acceleration plus six months of incubation in our office so that we can be really, really close and sort of help them accelerate their growth and, you know, just just advise them on, on how to get things done very fast. And, and things have been going really, really well with this first batch of, of companies. And, um, and the fundraising has gone really, really well as well. In, in about three to four months, we, we raised half of those uh, 12 million. And so we're, we're on, on, on a good path to, to closing the fund in, in a few months or a year, hopefully less. And, um, and so I think Google is an amazing partner in terms of you know, the knowledge that they have, the brand that they have, and, uh, and the resources that we can access and that the, and that the companies can, can access as well. So it's, it was for us very natural. We had all been advisors, sponsors, uh, mentors, or, or mentees in, in, in the case of Christina and participants in, in acceleration programs, including you know, YC, 500, Techstars, and so on. And there was really no other program in, in Portugal dedicated to the local market. There was a Techstars program, which was just closed, actually no longer exists from a Portuguese corporate, but it was a global program. And so it's, it's really the accelerator now in the country uh, that tries to sort of uh, find the, you know, the best 10 companies, six to 10 companies per year, uh, that are needing the first, you know, 100k, uh, and that want to really work with, with with our team, and so we're very, very happy with that partnership with Google, and um, and we're essentially very happy with uh, with the companies and the way things are going. I I, I love to hear that, Stefan, and I I think it's all it's it's always very applaudable when when VC funds go down in the market and 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 focus on the very early stage. Um, I I love seeing that, um, Stefan. I would love to uh, to to uh, shift our focus to uh, to our quick fire round. Um, of course, our quick fire round is uh, is focused on uh, on the topic uh, that we have the closest to our hearts. Of course, uh, fostering a borderless European VC industry. Um, and I just want to say, Stefan, are you ready for this? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you are. First question, what would you personally like to change about VC in Europe? That would have to be more LPs investing, of course. Our second question, what do you think is the most important thing for uh, promoting a stronger European v VC ecosystem? I think we need to celebrate more of the success stories. People don't know about it. And finally, Stefan, what can we expect in the future from Indico and from you, of course? Well, I mean, I, I, I love what I do. I love the team. I think uh, hopefully we'll keep on growing, uh, investing in, in, in great companies, hopefully doing some good exits as well to return uh, the capital to our LPs uh, with, a, with a nice multiple. And, um, you know, I think that from Portugal and from, from, all over, from all over Europe, particularly the smaller countries, what we see is amazing talent. And that is sort of what brings us joy. And that's why, you know, this profession is is such a cool profession is to you know sort of back really smart really hardworking people so that's what i intend to do uh for this foreseeable future probably forever stefan uh we really appreciated this conversation you have been super generous with your time and we went a bit off schedule sorry for that thank you so much it was great having you on the european vc and i'm looking forward to chatting with you again soon my pleasure thank you so much this was our interview with stefan moray 
managing partner of Indico Capital Partners. If you would like to see more from Stefan, I suggest you follow him on LinkedIn. We thank you for listening to the European VC, the go-to place for insights into the European VC industry. Visit theeuropeanvc.com to hear more from us. And if you would like to suggest topics or guests for future episodes, please reach out to us. We are always there for you.